This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business on Opportune Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We appreciate you listening along to some industry thought leadership. As we explore today's energy conversation, make sure that you're heading to our website, opportune.com. Again, opportune.com. For more information on some of the solutions, services, and higher level topics we're going to be breaking down today, but also for more pieces of Opportune content, including episodes of the podcast, you'll find videos, blogs, articles, and more there on our site. You can also subscribe to E2B on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations plus notifications when we drop new ones. So for today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking commodity risk management, breaking down more specifically some of the common reasons why risk strategies can act as both solutions as well as troublemakers for the energy industry. So as energy professionals are aware, our industry is often hit with unexpected volatility in supply and demand. And that can mean anything from volatility in pricing uh, to hits coming from natural disasters, geopolitics, market forces, cyber attacks, really you name it. These risks are becoming increasingly complex and they're affecting price, quantity, cost, regulations, et cetera, around energy commodities. So when does commodity risk management for these various pain points work well and go right and why? And then when does it go wrong and why? Those are some of the main questions we're looking to break down today, as well as some consequences for uh, going in the right or wrong direction with your risk management, but then more specifically, giving you some actionable, proactive and reactive strategies for protecting your energy commodities from market volatility and just giving you the lowdown of what's on the horizon and how you can prepare. So while we break all that down, I'm pleased to introduce our three guests and thought leaders for the podcast today. I'm pleased to welcome John Eccles, partner at Opportune, Greg Crowley, director at Opportune, and Will Boozer, senior consultant at Opportune. John, Greg, Will, great to have all of you on. Thank you, Thank you. for joining you. us. It's gonna be a pleasure of a conversation today. So we have quite a bit to get into. I want to uh, just jump right in and give you the opportunity to give us some thought leadership here. To frame our conversation, I want to turn to the South and Midwest of the United States and chat a little bit about the freeze that we saw during February of 2021. It was felt most acutely in Texas, but did hit a whole region of the US. And basically a drawn out set of winter storms left the Texas power grid in shambles. And it left a lot of businesses and residents pointing fingers, asking, was it the municipality's fault and a lack of oversight that caused this? Maybe was it the energy companies and some of their business relationships with the state? Maybe it was the state itself and a lack of adequate funding or just a brutal, unpredictable hit from weather and a mix of all of the above. So what I want to do first is, with that as context, ask y'all, as this was happening, and we saw all this volatility, how were energy commodity traders or associated business interests impacted by that fluctuation in supply? 
Where was that felt most acutely in your industry and why? Well, it, it, obviously the effects of the winter storm in, in the ERCOT, uh, Texas area were completely widespread. And, you know, there were big losers, big, big winners, uh, folks who ha- had access to gas or power and could get that to end users or uh, intermediaries did very well. Those who had commitments to deliver power and could not, um, you know, if if they the power would even flow, they often had to go in the market and pay a very heavy price for that. And we've seen um, a number of bankruptcies and a lot of other distress out of court uh, coming out of that. And and then of course in the in the seriousness of it, there there were some lives lost. So it was it was quite disruptive. Well, then just to follow up there, John, maybe more specifically, what were some of the risk strategies that were challenged and you know maybe laid bare by the storm? And maybe more specifically, how did the winter storms impact on commodity trading? Raise some new questions around which risk management strategies did work and also which ones didn't. It's a great question. So um, I, I, I can think of a couple of areas where. Uh, I'll start with a corporate strategy, uh, and most notable, obviously, is uh, the large uh, generation and transmission entity Brazos Electric, which uh, ended up in court, uh, ended up uh, with a $2 billion plus payable back to the grid operator, um, which, which sort of laid bare the dependence they had on uh, buying power from ERCOT under the assumption that it would always be there. And the answer was, it wasn't there for a short time. And then when it was, it was very expensive. A more nuanced would, strategy would be around some of the project finance wind farms who, you know, I think were, their structure had worked for a long time until it didn't, meaning uh, some of their hedges actually caused them great losses uh, when some of their deliverability failed. So, you know, it, 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 those are the two most notable, but, uh, all of these strategies, whether operational issues or, or commodity price only, really got stretched and, and pulled when when the grid went down for several days. Yeah, I think you saw in that in that event, you know, similar to other events that have happened that uh, are sort of unknowable or unforeseeable, you get different sorts of uh, different kinds of companies operating in there, right? So you've got that asset oriented company, like John mentioned. Uh, that tends to be supported by project financing. And then you also get the heavy transaction entities, uh, the traders. Uh, a lot of those people made a lot of money, right? And, uh, you know, got themselves some tough headlines as a result. Uh, but you just get a variety of different players in there and you get to see a, dump- a number of different risk management strategies employed uh, while those while those guys are operating. And what I think is also important to highlight here is obviously the winter storm was a bit of an anomaly uh, you know, it's still up in the air how much of it was predictable versus not predictable, uh, you know, in the hands of the state and ERCOT and the various energy companies. But at the very least, the way that the risk strategies were challenged was kind of an anomaly because this was, you know, mega crisis mode. So with that in mind, give us sort of the, the more traditional assessment of how companies approach this dynamic. How do energy companies usually approach their commodity risk management planning when things are going a normal amount of bad, right? There's a normal amount of risk. And what are the steps to assess 
where that inherent operational risk is even at. Right, right. Well, I, it's kind of like, I think you can break it into, I, I like to think about it kind of two general headings, maybe. You've got kind of an asset-oriented operation where their their risk management activity is built around their, uh, you know, sort of the creation of the balance sheet, if you will. The, you know, the, the lenders that are behind the, the funding often ask for hedging strategies to be embedded uh, in the company's operations. On the other hand, you've got people that are, transact a lot and they're going to have a different type of risk management strategy. You know, typically those are going to be more robust strategies, uh, but both of them really are going to be governed by a kind of a, a, a risk management strategy uh, policy document that, that gets executed, gets thought about in the beginning, but then has to get executed throughout an event or throughout the, the life of the, of, the, of the corporate strategy. But it's really that policy document that ends up being the, uh, the foundation for the strategy. Yeah, I, I, I think where Greg would also say, you know, um, if, if, if you have a largely asset-based uh, enterprise, so they're, they're dependent or otherwise to, to make their living, um, then they're probably uh, engaging in risk management almost at the behest of lenders, right? Part of a, part of a loan agreement. Uh, and, and I think in that environment, people are less sophisticated, less complicated, uh, as opposed to people who buy and sell commodities for a living, uh, they tend to have much more sophistication as they have to to, you know, live live very long with any sort of success in a, in a volatile world. Yeah, thanks, John. That's that's exactly right. I think, you know, the the asset oriented companies, right, that that say, okay, hey, this the the credit facility here is going to be contingent upon uh, a certain hedging strategy, a certain price hedging strategy, so to speak, that's kind of a set and forget type of mindset, right? So you might, you might have a, you might orient your, orient your assets for a long-term sale and a long-term hedge, and you come back and you look at it over some period of time, maybe a year or two years. And so they just tend to look at things more long-term. Their risk culture is a little bit different, right? Because you're kind of looking at the return of the asset over a period of time, whereas the the more robust or the more trade-oriented organizations, their risk management strategy is going to be geared toward more purchase and sale activity. They're going to re refresh their views more frequently. And so I think maybe what we saw in this event was the assets or the wind farms in particular, you didn't necessarily see them uh, re-looking at their, you know, sort of their what if could go wrong on, it was maybe more kind of deer in the headlight situation versus the more trade-oriented operations were kind of probably a little bit more anticipatory. They were, they were anticipating some of these outcomes that could happen. Let's play into that anticipatory nature here and draw another distinction. In your view, what does it mean in practice, right? Operationally, from a planning perspective, getting all the right players at the table to uh, get on the same page, right? So any number of uh, items here, but what does it mean in your view to assess strategy and mitigate risk, but before the chaos hits, right? So what does a proactive strategy look like to you that tries to stay ahead of that disaster curve? You know, I think, and, and we've seen a lot of this play out over the years. I think, you know, you get these events such as such as what happened in Texas or or maybe what happened, uh, you had a polar vortex several years before that, and we saw some uh, some things happen from that. Or even really the, 
uh, oil prices going negative earlier last year, right? So there are these events that people say, well, this could never happen, right? And so how does one uh, anticipate something that has never happened before, or how do you kind of envision those scenarios? And you know, really what that often comes down to is accountability, somebody being accountable for actually thinking about those things, right? So I think, you know, it can happen in passing where people will ask, well, what about this and what about that? But unless somebody is actually, it's their job to come in every day and, and think about that and, and, and ask those questions and gather up data and information such that people can actually contemplate what the exposures are or what the risks are in some of these events, then, you know, it just doesn't happen. And so that's why at places or at organizations where you have, let's say, an independent risk manager who is responsible for executing or administering the risk policy that the organization has set, and that could be as simple as organizing a meeting of the people on the risk committee and sorry, getting together and going through an agenda and coming up with things that need to get discussed, then they might not happen. And so I think at what we see is that, you know, at asset-oriented companies maybe where there's uh, that set-and-forget mentality because you really just – you're not necessarily having to do a lot from a day-to-day -day standpoint other than operate the asset. Um, that, that kind of thing might not happen. Those meetings might not, might not happen. But really what's required is that person to come in and to contemplate, to study historical data and actually apply that and say, hey, here's what can happen based upon – actual historical things that happened and we can you know some something like a var or uh, other types of uh, exposure analysis could be included in there but then the other one is this sort of this concept of a stress stress in the portfolio to conditions that you might not think about you know it could be super cold temperatures in texas or maybe it's a war in the middle east or whatever it might be you can just draw up a bunch of scenarios and then try and test those but somebody needs to be responsible i remember oil and gas company who had never you know, engaged in any sort of risk management. Um, and the question we brought to them, uh, you know, keep it simple, right? So what is the effect? What's the effect on this company if natural gas goes up 50 cents on MCF or down? And, you know, you can't, you, you start with sort of a, well, it's really good for us or it's not, but, but the next level is, okay, well, let's quantify that. And so I think to your question about how, how do people get started, it's uh, creating some sort of posit about uh, what the variables are, whether it's gas prices, oil prices, or some combination. Uh, and, then, and then a rigorous data look at, okay, what does it really mean? Uh, and that'll often give you some surprises. We, we, we also did this at a, a complex utility that had coal, gas, nuclear, wind, you know, the question is, okay, how does this all happen across those commodities? And it, it is a very data intense uh, question because some parts of the organization may benefit from from a certain price up or down and the other parts hurt. So, so it, you can ask the basic question uh, about how, how does this company get affected by commodity price? But at some point in this process, you have to start digging through data and the various operating units to try to quantify whether or not it's a real problem for them. Sure. Yeah, Daniel, and I was just going to add and build off John and Greg that there's a cool scenario that uh, Nassim Tlaib says, and uh, it's pretty interesting. He, he talks about how there's a farmer with this turkey, and every day the turkey sees him come up and give him food, and he keeps a building off that every day, and he goes, 
you know, this is trust. I'm getting this free food. And, you know, he builds off historical um, analysis that this guy's my friend and and he's going to be here for me till I die. And then the Wednesday before Thanksgiving shows up and his his future changes. Right. So it's really these people being able to understand that history is not always a predicament of the future. And so I think that's a good, fun example of that. And, you know, like like Greg said, and you got negative oil prices. Well, no one expected that. There needs to be uh, maybe not that dramatic, but there needs to always be a, a thought leadership going on between management of what's going on in these different scenarios. And then, you know, also when you do these type of stress testing, understanding what that output is, right? You can say, okay, I got this model spit out 500 million. Well, how do you know if that's a good number, right? Being able to understand what's going in there and changing these variables and seeing the number as value add to explain to upper management when they're making these hedging and different asset purchases to have long optionality, it's important. Let's get a little deeper into the second layer here, right? We're going to play Inception a little bit, but with risk management. So once companies evaluate their risk, obviously they start asking themselves what could go wrong, right? And that's how you determine the right solution for risk management. However, there's that deeper layer of asking themselves what could go wrong with my risk management, right? Risk management for risk management. So that that dynamic is a little different and takes another layer of proactivity in my opinion, but this is y'all's podcast, so I want to get your opinions on this. Once companies evaluate their risk and they move on to that next level of having to decide whether their risk management solution is the right one, the wrong one, or how to mitigate risk around said management, uh, what works and what doesn't break that down for us? Gets back to accountability and having some kind of a structure in place. It could be uh, we like to call them risk management cycles, or there's ways to report back on the strategy itself, right? And so how am I doing versus what I thought was going to happen? And if you think about risk management in general, I guess, you, you're, what are you really trying to do? Well, you're trying to bring some sort of certainty to future events, right? So really make maybe cash flows. And so at some at some point in time, you have a snapshot of what you think is going to happen. And you're you're trying to lock those down or bring less like i said less volatility to it and so you can actually you can actually see that over time and so you can go okay well you know based upon what my prediction was uh, a month ago i'm i'm reporting against that and to the extent that you're you're getting more volatility than you were expecting in sort of your picture of what might be happening in the future that might mean that your you know your risk strategy is is in need of some tweaking so you can get breakdowns in in the results as as they come in you can maybe even get a little bit of noise in your some of your hedge structures and in the in, by just revaluing everything on, on some frequency and looking at what is you know what is the current value because that might indicate what forward prices are doing uh, and then also compare that against you know, what are actual results based on my activity in the current or spot markets? How am I doing against my my hedge strategies? But it comes back to, again, I would say sort of accountability uh, structure around the reporting framework and making sure that there's some mechanism in place to review what, sh- what you're doing and, and see how you're doing and, and make appropriate adjustments. So look, at, at the risk of actually lending some uh, credence to Will's turkey story, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of <laughs> use that as a... Uh, as a as a takeoff so look look i think one of, one of the important things to remember about all this is this is not uh interest rate hedging or management and it's not fx right the, those are strictly you know paper adventures 
Um, everything we deal with is 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 real, right? And we call it power real. So you know, there's real oil and gas wells involved. There's real homes that have to be uh, delivered gas and electricity, and 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 all the things that make all that happen are real. Uh, and so you know, I think when you look at uh, you know. To Greg's point, you, you set up a strategy, you see what it's doing. I think the hardest thing to do is uh, to step outside yourself. So, you know, is is it is it feasible or is it possible that the Texas grid could be shut down through some extraordinarily cold weather? Yeah, I think it is. And now we know it is. So the question is, can you step outside of the history? Can you step outside of you know, that daily feeding cycle from the turkey and, and think about, okay, what happens if he comes with an ax this time? Or said differently, what, what happens if I can't deliver or I can't get delivery? So that, that ability to look at your strategy and think deeply about what could go wrong with it is, as you indicated, truly next level. And I think it, it takes thoughtfulness. Uh, I think risk people need to be involved, but also commercial people. Uh, as well as ops people, you be at the table and say, you know, how how do we think about what hasn't happened that could happen? And it takes imagination. I guess to, to, to continue on this note and, you know, feel free to give some more commentary here. But do you think enough companies ask themselves these questions? Do we have you know, a majority or plurality even of companies out there that do assess what could go wrong with their risk management strategies? Or is what we're describing here still kind of a niche endeavor? What are you seeing? I, I frankly have not seen it. I mean, I think uh, when people go down the road of risk management for the first time, uh, or when they look at, uh, let's say, their annual commercial strategies for the year, um, but once those are in place, uh, just about everybody has a day job, right? Uh, people have to keep the wells running. People have to keep the turbines turning. The risk managers got to get a risk report out every day. Commercial guys are buying and selling. When and who uh, is taking the time to think about the next level issues, which is how does this break down and actually hurt our company? So I think the short answer is I... Unless you plan for it, unless you carve out people's attention, I'm not sure that assessing the risk to your strategies happens that often. I think that's right. I mean, we've certainly seen that play out in some of some of the areas where we've done restructuring work, quite frankly. So when you look at where problems occur is oftentimes when you know events happen or unknown conditions occur and the policy or the what people had maybe talked about never got addressed, right? Or people just responded differently during that event than what they wanted to. So it's it gets back to that same thing, really, which is okay. What am I going to do under these under these conditions? And how do I assess my strategy, both my commercial strategy, my hedging strategy, uh, against the current market, whether or not I thought the current market conditions were going to happen or not? And so you have to just face reality. Well, let's face reality together then and offer some actionable solutions for folks that haven't yet crossed that barrier into a second layer of risk management. Again, managing risk for your risk management. So I know at Opportune, you recommend 
very specific strategic mindsets for approaching this holistic risk management. And uh, with those potential strategic failures in mind, uh, if not front of mind. So let's go ahead and break that down. The two main uh, strategic mindsets you recommend include uh, data-driven rigor and continued education and putting those front and center to your risk management approach. So let's start with that first one, again, data-driven rigor. How do you define a rigorous mindset in terms of risk management strategies and how is data expanding what is even possible to manage uh, and then in turn that rigorous mindset? Well, I'll, t I'll take a shot. I mean, we typically think uh, in simple terms about commodity price risk, maybe basis risk, maybe. Uh, the, so to me, the, the universe of risks that need to be considered uh, are, are, are pretty wide and, and we've talked here about some of the operational risks that you know bit everybody during the winter storm. So, uh, and then the, the 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 data side of that, I, and I think in many respects is much easier. Uh, to the extent people have enterprise risk systems where there's large aggregated data about a lot of different things in the company, um, that coupled with uh, all of the sources of market information that can be scraped. Uh, and aggregated. There's just a lot more information out there uh, that can be analyzed, that can be used than there was, you know, 20 years ago when when things were in isolated pots or maybe even by hand. So, so the the rigor, you know, you can start with a, a simple premise uh, around what happens to our company if the price of gas goes up a quarter, but to actually get into how that works uh, for for the company in a real sense. You've got to dig in. You've got to go, you know, all the way through the the structure of the company and get data about how that actually happens. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think you can pull in data from all kinds of different places in the organization. You might have, you know, price movement certainly drives a lot of the exposures uh, in this industry in particular. But that, you know, manifests itself maybe in credit exposure or in. Uh, uh, liquidity risks, maybe that the person has on the balance sheet or whatever it might be, but you've got somewhere in the organization, these things are being measured or maybe outside the organization, credit rating is changing for your biggest counterpart or whatever it might be. That's a data input uh, into somebody's analysis of uh, that kind of what if, what could go wrong sort of discussion. Um, and so I think the more robust, the best risk management organizations do good at figuring out how to get data and make use of it uh, in either regular sort of risk cycle reporting environments or in, uh, you know, in management reporting or, or whatever it might be. But they're good at pulling data and uh, they, have, they tend to have technology people, a lot of them around to, uh, to facilitate the movement of data and making it into information. Yeah, I think that data and technology is coming such a big thing, you know, being one of the part of the younger part of this firm, we're seeing so many kids that are coming in around my age, taking on these roles. And it's no more where it seems like it's separated where that he's in charge of just doing the position reporting or the risk management. No, he's going to also know how to pull data out of all these different systems, have the knowledge to be a dual threat where they don't have to wait 10, you know, hours or two days to go IT and say, can you pull this data for me? No, it's, Everyone needs is, is focused towards being more efficient and everyone knowing how to get data as, as best as possible to make it because, you know, that, that data getting a delay like that can the, the 
the profitability opportunity might be gone by the time you take that time. So it's it's very awesome and cool how technology is playing such a big role coming forward. Young people now they build their they can build their own tools. You know, creating a button in a spreadsheet to grab you know data from wherever. It's just it's much more ingrained in the in the in the young person's mindset. Right, and we're seeing so much such so many companies spend so much money and wanting to have that efficiency of letting it be so smooth of a pool from one system I can reach and click four different boxes and get my correlations, my price feeds, my position, and see a four curve and then say, okay, I can know what I'm going to be getting into. You know, it's just, it's all about being better than the competition. And that's where you get it from is the data. Now, the other side of this dynamic, uh, again, of strategic mindsets that Opportune really recommends to achieve that second layer of risk management is a continued education mindset. And a lot of that comes from a a proactive approach to assessing risk, basically continuously wanting to learn and identify new areas of risk and add those to the portfolio. So my first question on that is, how often should companies approach seeking new potential risks? I mean, not obviously seek the risks out, but seek to understand if there are new risks to mitigate. Uh, So how often should companies be doing that, in your opinion, and why? And then how do you see that informing a holistic risk management strategy? I would say every day at all times. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of the, it's, it's a classic uh, case for continuous improvement. So, you know, whether it be for the technology purposes that uh, that Will was just mentioning, that you can always get better and more efficient at, at gathering up the information, but also just being able to run, look back at, at your, maybe your back testing or um, whatever it might be, your, your scenarios, you've got new information, you're watching the news, whatever, whatever it might be, you can, uh, you can always be reviewing um, your risk strategy. I think, you know, the, uh, a good risk, a lot of it's getting in front of the data too, and actually informing and trying to inform your constituents, your stakeholders, perhaps your bank, whoever it might be, as to what are some of these potential risks on the horizon. You know, maybe somebody's speaking poorly of you in a foreign country. And so you, you just gotta, you gotta have all kinds of little feelers out there for what's going on and, and try to address those uh, in a proactive way. I love, we, we, we built risk books for people uh, as starter kits. And the way we tell them is if you, if you still have the same set of risk books a year from now, then you're missing the point, right? Because you, you never know everything that's underneath. And so you need to be in a constant state of discovery. And that's what's so fun about this industry, right? It's not stale. It's always changing. It keeps you on your feet. I mean, that's why as a young kid, it's, it's so fun to look forward because you never, I mean, I feel like I could be, looking like John in a couple of years and I feel like I'm still going to be learning something. (laughs) It's a cool, it's a cool industry. I should be insulted. (laughs) That's right. I love that. Bold, Will, bold. (laughs) Uh, So uh, following up on that then, who should be responsible for assessing and reassessing those risk strategies every day, right? Because obviously there are the professionals that this is their core goal, right? Is to identify and manage set risks. But based on what you're describing, it sounds like to stay that ahead of the curve is going to take more coordination amongst different parties and departments that maybe don't see risk management as their core function, right? So with that in mind, who needs to be at the table to assess and reassess these risk strategies in your opinion and why? Well, I may, let me take a little stab at that because I, th- I, mean, I think you br- bring up a great point, Daniel, and that is that risk means different things to different people. And so there is 
you know, we've, we've seen this a bit too in this whole concept of enterprise risk management, right? And, you know, that's similar but different maybe to commercial risk management. And so, you know, it could be reputation risk. It could be legal risk. It could be, you know, whatever, whatever that is. And I think the answer is everybody should be thinking about it in some way. And again, how, and, you know, maybe the, the board of directors or the senior management is responsible for setting that tone, that risk culture, if you will, by establishing the structure of the organization and by defining who is accountable, number one. And then number two, by asking for regular routine type of information to reinforce that culture that just makes people think about it. And, you know, what, what is it that could impact the health of this company or the variability of the earnings in the company? Uh, and making sure somebody's accountable inside the company. But ultimately, you know, the board needs to really reinforce that. And that's what creates the culture, the board, the senior management. I agree. And then once that culture is set top down, who needs to keep that ball rolling day in and day out uh, you know, in those separate departments? Because again, when it is such a uh, you know, risk means different things to different people, I think that limits itself to having siloed approaches to risk and siloed needs, right? So once that culture set and now everyone's sort of on the same page, how do you maintain that at a, a day in, day out level, in your opinion? Well, I, I'll give you a tangible example, um, and this was a, a utility. They were in the beginning stages of really even thinking about risks, but but very early on, they did something that was pretty smart, which was uh, create a risk oversight committee, and it was essentially the you know seven to ten heads of the biggest parts of the utility, right? Planning, dispatch, operations, um, as well as you know people who. Have acquired fuels and then people who actually you know went out and dispatched it to the uh, to the to the end user uh, and then that 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 committee was uh, chaired by the risk officer then that committee had routine reporting uh, responsibilities to the board of directors and so by by design that committee had a mandate it had arms and legs in the form of the risk officer uh, and it had accountability back to the board, on, let's say on a quarterly basis. Uh, you know, here's what we've done. Here's what we're worried about. Here's what we're doing next. Uh, and so all of those people, and I dealt with them, had day jobs. Uh, and so, but this was something that was kind of added on to think about risk across the organization. And I thought it was very effective at, at advancing their uh, their knowledge and thinking about risk. Yeah, I think if you, you know, if you look at, let's say, commercial banks or, you know, the, the sort of the area where, where heavy duty trading is happening and with heavy duty uh, regulatory oversight, I mean, those cultures are all about risk, right? And so in the, the energy business, there's more variability in terms of how people think about and look at risk. But ultimately, it's the same thing. And it's, you know, getting it coordinated by somebody and re reinforced by the people at the top. All right, John, Will, Greg, we are approaching the end of our show. So thank you for all your insights so far. I've got one last question for y'all and I wanna basically tie everything with a nice bow and talk about the winter storm again, circle us back around. So looking back at the winter storm, again, that hit Texas and the uh, South and Midwest of the US in February of 2021, which aspects of that volatility 
do you see as foreseeable? And which aspects of that did you see as unforeseeable? And how do you imagine that maybe a risk management strategy for risk management strategies could have helped alleviate some of the worst aspects of that freeze? Thoughts there? And so we're sitting here uh, much later than the winter storm. So it's easy to uh, Monday morning quarterback. This. Right. But <laughs> if, 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 if you say uh, for all the participants in the Texas grid, uh, from generators to, to beyond. Is it feasible that the state of Texas could experience uh, really cold weather for an extended period of time? Of course it is. Did players in this ERCOT market know that, by and large, the assets uh, weren't winterized as they would be, let's say, in you know the Midwest? Of course they knew that. Uh, but it, it had been a long time, and maybe for many of these people ever since that reality hit. Uh, and so the strategies, the operating conditions, they were all sort of as is. Uh, you know, Will stumbled into the Turkey story, so there was a paradigm. Uh, that paradigm got burst and, you know, it's created havoc. So was it foreseeable? Absolutely. Was it foreseen? No. And it's a small distinction. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, now we are we are now trying to recover recover from that by, you know, regulation and winterization and new rules around participating in the market. Uh, so, you might say the state of Texas is a learning organization, like we talked about. But uh, it 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 could have been, it was foreseeable, but it just was not foreseen. Any other thoughts there, team? The only thing I would say is. Events like that will happen again. I don't know if it'll be in Texas, but there will be things like that that happen again that should have been foreseen. And to that point, you know, managing risk means keeping one foot in the now and one foot in the future and constantly balancing what are our risks for today? How do we manage those? But also, how do we stay proactive enough to anticipate future risks? And to your point, Texas weather is a doozy, it's unpredictable, and we like to get hit with winter storms one day and then sweltering heat the next. <laughs> so uh, energy uh, companies, utilities, and any professionals in the industry that manage commodities are going to want to stay proactive and find that second level of risk management we've been breaking down today. So we'll have to do some continued conversations here as more timely news hits the energy industry. But till then, I think that'll do it for our conversation today. So thank you so much to the three of you for breaking down this renewed approach to risk management. Again, we've been chatting with John Eccles, Greg Crowley, and Will Boozer, all with Opportune. John is a partner at Opportune. Greg is a director and Will, senior consultant, again, all at Opportune. So John, Greg, Will, thank you for all your time today on the thank program. You, uh, and if folks want to learn a little bit more about some of the specifics of what we broke down today, where should we point them? Anywhere to go online to learn more? Well, Opportune website, but there's also a commodity trading and risk management tab there that's got contact information, thought leadership pieces in this area, and uh, ultimately easy way to get all of us. Perfect. All right. Thank you again to the three of you. It's been a pleasure, and we'll chat again soon. Daniel, thank you. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Hey, thank you. 
And thank you everyone for watching another episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an opportune podcast. If you like what you heard and saw and want some previous episodes, make sure you're heading to our website, opportune.com, and subscribing to E2B on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Energy to Business. Thank you.